Hello, basketball fans, and welcome to the Dave and Dia podcast. Starting at center from Portland, the wily veteran, Dave Deckard. And at guard from Los Angeles, the patron saint of rainbows and unicorns, your podcast MVP, Dia Miller. Welcome back to Dave and Dia, Blazers Edge podcast. I'm Dia Miller. I'm here with Dave Deckard. It's actually early in the day on Tuesday. We're recording earlier than usual. So I feel like maybe we'll be more alert and chipper. And do people use the word chipper anymore? Is that a word? If you put wood in something and grind it up, sure. Um, how are you, Dave? Or maybe if you're an exotic dancer, that might be your name. I'm not sure. But yes, I use chipper uh, often. And I'm not feeling so chipper. I'm a little under the weather, but still the earlier start is appreciated. That will be a little more energy. I have uh, a little bit of caffeine and a cat on my lap, so I am ready to go. It's funny because I guess not really funny, but over the last year going through COVID and everybody wearing masks and things like that gets, I usually get sick at least once and I didn't get sick. The kids didn't really get sick. Nobody was really sick outside of having COVID for the last year or so. And now we're all kind of returning back to some sense of normalcy. And it's like the colds are in high gear right now. We had a vector go through my daughter's school, uh, which was a masks optional school, which is just you might as well not have a mask policy. And Omicron is very, I mean, the positivity rates where we are is 25%, which is unheard of. So unfortunately, she had it, and now we all have it. Oh, no. So So uh, it's not just a cold. No, it's not. So I'm running a little bit of a fever right now, and I'm a little tired. But since it's just me and Kitty and you're virtual, we're okay and able to do the podcast. We'll just have to all have to go slower. My kids, they're they're really strict still in Southern California with the schools and things like that. In fact, uh, starting out the year, the kids, when they were outside on the playground, they didn't have to wear their masks, but they had to wear them inside. And now they've changed it and they have to wear them outside as well. Um, And just this last weekend, they actually sent home home COVID tests for every kid in the school to have everybody tested before they return back to school. So that's that's nice. It's it's nice to see that happening. Um, I'm sure that that can be a frustrating situation when you're when you're dealing with, you know, because kids spread germs so easily anyway. There was a school district thing and they were going to require masks. And then people came in and talked about personal choice and all that stuff. And they caved. But it wasn't my personal choice to contract the virus. So, I mean, your personal choice to give it to all of us might be a little bit sketchy. I mean, we don't want to get too much into that, but <laughs> let's just say that I'm not uh, very appreciative uh, at the moment of, you no. know, that kind of, we've always known it's nonsense and now we personally are paying for it. Thank goodness that both children seem to be fine. I'm doing okay so far and obviously Omicron is a less severe and I've been we've all been vaccinated and all that and still got it by the way but it seems to be less severe I'm running a temperature I am uh, I have congestion I'm tired but hopefully within a few days we'll be back to normal and by the time we talk next it'll be okay but the Blazers have had a good week so yes I mean the Blazers have had a better week than us apparently (laughs) it's it's very rare that we get to talk about three games and two of them are wins but this week Two of our games were wins and only one loss uh, to the Denver Nuggets. We lost the Denver Nuggets. Then we won against the Washington Wizards and the Orlando Magic last night. Um, 
and and that that's a nice change, you know, to come in here and get to talk about two out of three. We got two out of three wins this week. Yes. And the Denver Nuggets, I mean, we weren't really expecting to win that one. No, not under the conditions. I mean, nobody was there. Uh, and the strongest position you had was center, but you're going up against a league MVP. Right. Uh, I would say Denver, as they often do, took a certain amount of delight in putting the Blazers down. Fine. You know, that's. I think that's deserved. I think they still remember 2019. Many of them were there. And also, they're around 500, so they're fighting for playoff position. And, they're, they're, you know, they just want to make sure that Portland doesn't crawl up anywhere close to them. Good enough. Again, the Blazers have this cultural thing. Look, in 2015, I don't think they had this. They would fight back from anything. Now that they're more veteran and or completely young and inexperienced or minimum contract or whatever, when they get way down, it's done. I mean, there, there's just the Blazers seem to know which games they are going to lose, and if you if you smack them pretty hard on the nose as they come in and say no, you're not going to win this. Like my cat, they kind of retreat to a corner and say, "Okay, I'm not sure how I feel about that," but you know, it, it was tough watching that Denver game. At the same time, huge asterisk. There was no talent available on the floor that was going to turn the course of that game anyway, so you just chalk it up. You wonder, though, if they can turn it on if they do make the playoffs, if they can turn on that switch that makes them ultra-competitive even when the other team comes hard at them. I, I, I don't know, but we're not there yet. This season has had so many twists and turns and unexpected things and things they've had to compensate for and adjust to. Um, and so, again, in Denver, we still didn't have CJ. We still didn't have Dame. Um, it, it's it's a struggle when we're missing key players. No, no Norman Powell. Uh, no Norman no Powell. Anthony yeah. Simons, right, was out. Oh one? yes, you're I right. Yeah. yeah. So that's a lot of firepower that we're missing against a, a team that's like you said, you know, competing this year. It's not surprising, um, but I do think that it's it's great to see him go and and win. You know, two what looked like fairly good wins to me. I mean, they, they, it, it wasn't just a fluke, you know, they played well against the wizards and the magic. So that was good to see. Yeah. Against terrible teams. They basically did, you know, and, and you have to look, you do have to come hard against the blazers. You cannot just play lackadaisical because Portland has too much firepower. Um, and you know, a fair amount of experience anyway. I mean, uh, Look, Yusuf Nurkic knows what he's doing, and he knows, more to the point, opportunities in front of him. Like I think he salivates over games where he's going, hey, you know what, I'm the guy on the floor here. I can score 20, and I think he gets up for those. Anthony Simons, obviously, is not experienced, but he's growing into his role, and he also, I think, is taking advantage, uh, which is great. And then you have a couple, I mean, Dennis Smith Jr., Ben McLemore, Nasir Little, all yeah. are opportunistic. And yep. I think they came pretty hard in those games. Uh, so you, you get enough there to where if you do not play against the Blazers or you cannot defend the Blazers, you're going to be in for a long night. But here's the thing is that if you're really good, the Blazers are still really quite solvable. And again, I don't know how they fix that. They probably don't this year. So I, I don't know. I'm looking at this going, yay, two wins, better than two losses probably. But um at the same time, you can't play Orlando and Washington every night. Yeah, it's it's interesting because there's been a lot of talk 
from fans at least, around the Blazers possibly tanking this season. You know, I, I, I don't know how I feel about that. I tend to skew on the side of, ah, I don't love that idea. But these are not teams that you could easily do that with. No. <laughs> that would have been uh, quite suspicious. No, nor and would I, they. Let's, let's, yeah. Sorry to interrupt you, but you think Yusuf Nurkic is going to go out and bag it with a contract on the line? Um, no. Anthony Simons is not going to do that. His contract's on the line, too. Chauncey Billups is not, did not take a head coaching job to lose, even though he's right. doing a fair amount of it. And I don't think it's in his personality to say, hey, forget it, play however you want. There's, there's just too much on this team that that they just give up or intentionally tank. Um, it's just Blazer fans are lucky that the team might not be given a choice on many nights. There's so many aspects to that. And I feel like this is not a team that will willingly give up wins. They're going to fight uh, until they can't fight anymore. And, and there are nights where it looks like they don't. There are nights where it looks like they just kind of give up. But I think at the core of who they are uh, as players, as a team, they're not going to give this season up, even with Dame out, you know, even with CJ spending so much time being hurt. Uh, this is a team that's still, I almost feel like that gives them more fuel to their fire. I think we've talked about that a little bit before that when, when the, the, you know, stars are out, the other guys come out and really play because they don't have those guys to depend on. I've been really impressed with Ben McLemore. Um, he's one of those guys that, you know, I, coming in, I didn't really know what we were going to get with him. And he's been a consistent shooter. He's really contributed. You know, he's been one of the higher scorers um, pretty consistently. And and he's fun to watch. He's really a fun player to watch. I've been really happy with him. And Dennis Smith Jr. is another one that, you know, he, he was fighting for his spot on this roster. And now he's really a contributing player. And so that's pretty cool to see as well. And then, of course, Anthony Simons, you know, everybody's been talking about Ant. I was really hoping that he would get player of the week last week. I, I know it's a little bit of a long shot, but I thought, man, he has really played his heart out. And it would be really cool to see that for him. Well, let's go back to McLemore for a second, because he's found his seams uh, in the roster and on the floor, which is really cool. I mean, you knew he had that in him, but you could see as he's starting to gel that he's expecting to get the open shot. And most critically, especially for a player in his position, he's not hesitating one bit. And that's the thing is that either when you're young or you're the, you know, 10th man on the roster and you know the pecking order uh, and you know the coach's system and what have you, there is often a temptation to, well, you know, is this really my shot or is this not my shot? Should I take it? Am I going to get benched? Ben McLemore is going, that's a three-pointer. It's my shot. And he will usually hit a couple of open ones in, in the gaps, and then he's on fire. And then yeah. everything is good. So I, I have enjoyed watching him. I think it's a classic example of how a player who is in the bottom of the rotation can absolutely play above his position while not disrupting the team, but helping it. Yeah, well, and he was he was an early draft pick. You know, he was really expected to do big things. And I think it's it's an interesting conversation when you have guys like that that are early draft picks and then don't really... 
and I hesitate to say this, but don't really live up to the expectation of what they were expected to do because you have a guy like Ben McLemore who is still a fantastic basketball player. He really is good at what he does, but because he was such a high draft pick, I think that there's some like expectation adjusting that needs to happen. And I think that he, I think that's happening. I think what's happening here is he's being appreciated where he is. He's finding his spot. He's filling a role that's necessary and needed for Portland. And I love to see that happen. I love to see a situation like that where a guy, you know, who, who maybe didn't come out the gate doing what people thought he would finds his groove and finds his place in the NBA and on a team. And, and so I'm, I'm really happy to see that happening for him. Now, Dennis Smith Jr. has had to take a further step beyond that, and he's had some fantastic contributions and some nights where it's been not as great. But overall, it's been really positive, especially considering what the Blazers are paying for him and his, his place in the, in the rotation. He has given more than expected. There are certain nights when the opponent's not ready for him or when he's on a streak where he's just brilliant. When the opponent locks him down, he still has a hard time. And it's so you can see the kind of the ceiling on that just a little bit. But still, again, for what the Blazers, this is classic former GM stuff. You get uh, a player who had talent and, as you say, was drafted pretty high, who has not necessarily succeeded, put them in a smaller role. They know that they, this is their chance to make good, maybe their last chance to make good, or one of them. And they come in and they give you more than expected. Uh, and and that is true of both those players. And no complaints about either, by the way. I think the they have stepped in in trying circumstances, McLemore and Smith Jr. And Ben, really fantastic. So a, a bright spot in this middle of the season for the Blazers. Yeah, absolutely. And we do have Anthony Simons and Nasir Little who are, you know, guys we've had, we drafted. There are kind of younger guys. They're doing well. We're seeing really good stuff from Nasir. I think it's getting almost a little bit overshadowed because of how well Ant is doing. And like it or not, those two tend to be clumped together because they are our younger are younger guys that are playing key roles on the day. I mean, we have younger guys than that. We have, you know, CJ Ellaby, who is our rookie last year. We have Greg Brown and Trenton Watford, who are our rookies this year. You know, we've got guys that are younger than them, but they're kind of Nasir and Ant are kind of our up and coming talent. And I think the two of them get clumped in together a lot, even though they're playing different roles. And because Anthony Simons has been doing so extremely well, I think Nasir Little gets overshadowed a little bit, but he's been really, really a big part of what's of the success that they're having right now as well. He is a fun player to watch. I love his heart. I love his hustle. I love that he just goes out there and leaves it on the court. You you never question whether he is, you know, playing the most that he can. He's always out there just working hard and I really appreciate that about him. So here's the thing with Nasir is that at the beginning of the season you noticed everything he did because of unfamiliarity but that was a two-way street. We were unfamiliar with him in that role but also he was unfamiliar with the system and his place. So there would be big highs and big lows and he stuck out all over the place. Less so now that his contributions, as I think I said in one of the recent recaps, so you look at him, he scored eight, 18, and you're going like, yeah, oh, he scored 18. Good job, Nasir, right? You don't notice that because it's become more regular, but his play has also become more steady. He's, he's not sticking out of the system. He's not making big mistakes as often. Now, 
I would say also because he doesn't have as much infrastructure around him, there's been less opportunity for him to make dramatically good plays, especially on defense. But those will come back. The, the good part will still be there. I'm impressed with how he's been able to pick up his place and position. And by the way, I mean, we said this earlier in the season, speculating, it's becoming more and more cemented in my mind now that having him as a small forward, as a true small forward, is better than having Norman Powell converted there. Uh, And it's starting to be so almost on both ends of the floor, not entirely yet. And that's nothing against Norman Powell. I want him on this roster. I want him in the rotation. But it probably should not not be at at small forward because little is working his way into that position, he's probably going to be a good one. Yeah, I agree. I think, and and it'll be nice to see that. I'm assuming it, we're going to start to make some roster changes here. I'm assuming that there's going to be some shift. And I think it's nice that we have that flexibility with some of these guys to shift them into positions that they really should be playing versus the positions that they've been filling because that's what we needed them to play. When you have this many guards, you have to fill, especially when those are your main players, your star players, you have to figure out, you can't just sit Norman Powell on the bench and, and have him coming off the bench. I mean, even though there's some argument to, you know, doing that either with Norm or with CJ, you're, you, they're not going to do that. So they have to instead kind of adjust the, the way that guys are playing the positions that they're playing instead of playing them where they truly should be playing. And so, yeah, I agree. I think if they can shift and I would imagine that one of these guards is going to get traded uh, either before the trade deadline, I would think before the trade deadline, but if not by next year. And when that happens, that will free up some space to do that, to put Nasir Little in that position and, and let him really play that role. And, you know, either whether Norm is here, I would imagine, I would imagine that if we're trading somebody, it's going to be CJ. It makes more sense because of contract things. So, if that's the case and Norm is still here, then Norm can go ahead and play the role that he really is used to playing, and that would be a, a good thing. Well, let's talk about the trade deadline for a minute. It is upcoming in February. I don't know that the Blazers are going to make a deal, uh, like the kind of deal where you're thinking about before the deadline. Now, I think they will make a deal. I think it's the same kind of deal that they were always forecasting, that they're going to try to shave off a, a few dollars in order to fit under the luxury tax this year. That's fine. But that's probably involving a Robert Covington, maybe Yusuf Nurkic. There, there are really two kinds of deals possible for them right now. There is the deal in which they get the player they've always coveted. Now, Indiana's Miles Turner has been speculated in that, but he just went down with an injury and will not be recovered before the trade deadline. The Blazers, because of their situation, might be able to absorb that. It puts a level of uncertainty in that. It's not as automatic as it was, but that's one type of deal. The other type of deal would be, like I just said, the one that simply is a an academic uh, move in order to make things more palatable coming down the end of this season, but not affecting future seasons. And I don't think there's a lot of in-between. I don't think there's there's a lot of moves out there uh, right now that is going to make this team solidly, even dramatically better for a run this year. And I think that there are going to be more possibilities in the summer. And I think the things we've talked about, them also looking at, well, is it the worst thing in the world if we get to use a lottery pick this year? Not that they're going to say that out loud, but 
come on, seriously, if you, if it's not going to make a, if it's going to get you in the eighth spot or the seventh spot, and you're going to lose in the first round, and you go through yeah. all kinds of mach- machinations, and by the way, lose a trade chip in order to consummate this deal, and you're going to lose your draft pick as well. Because, I mean, that's in essence what they're doing. They are trading away a potential lottery pick and whatever player they trade for the incoming player in that scenario. Yeah. That's not going to make sense, right? It just it just doesn't. It, X's and O's, uh, A's and B's and Z's. It doesn't make sense to make that kind of move. And that's by far the easier kind of move to make in February. The, the super dramatic probably happens in the summer. The big player move probably happens in the summer. So I am expecting minor moves. I may be wrong, uh, and we okay. have a new GM. I don't know, but I'm, I'm expecting minor moves uh, at best in the next month, and then this summer will be the reevaluation. I mean, that would make sense in what you're saying. I think it's also a hard adjustment when we've had Neil Olshay for all this time to think about big moves being made. Um, And we don't really know Joe Cronin and how he moves well enough to know what he's going to do with this. I I don't think you're wrong. And I'm not sure that I'm not sure that that's bad either. I I think at this point, as much as I don't love the idea of tanking, you make a solid point. If we're just fighting to be in the first round to just have an early exit, you know, the only thing that gives us is the continuing longest streak in the playoffs of any NBA team, which we currently hold. That's really the only accomplishment that gives us at this point. But but at what cost? Um, so so, yeah, it makes sense. And even for someone like me who doesn't love the idea of tanking. And like we said before, I don't think they'll do it necessarily purposely. But that almost makes me wonder even more about Miles Turner and these rumors is, you know, if you can bring someone on like that, that, you know, will be well probably by the time or around the time that, you know, Dame will be and and be able to kind of get him up and going, that that might be a move that could be worthwhile. Um, if the organization wants to tank, you know, getting a player that's injured that is not going to be of any help currently isn't necessarily a bad move, I guess. Right. We should parse terms here, though. Tanking is intentionally losing or making moves in order to lose. The Blazers are not doing that. They're not going to do that. And I think all things considered, if they could make it, you know, or with the current roster through the playoffs or into the playoffs, they will do that. I don't think in any way that they are going to intentionally scuttle this season. But the question will become, will they pay extra in order to make the playoffs. Not will they tank to stay out of them, but will they pay extra admission for that seat in the seventh or eighth seed or the play-in tournament? That answer can legitimately be no without the inference that they're tanking. Like, uh, you know, okay, can I see the show for free or have I already got a ticket? Okay, yeah, I'm going to redeem the ticket. I'm going to go see the show. Are you going to charge me 10 extra bucks to get in there and see it? Then I'm not going. And that's really what this trade scenario is. Now, you got to ask the question, what costs them nothing? Trading Yusuf Nurkic at this point, trading Robert Covington at this point. Those are the easy ones. You know, Anthony Simons, if they plan to retain him or if they don't plan to retain him, may, you know, play into that. But they're not going to give him away. But he might be the lever in one of those spectacular deals. And they may say, you know, we're not going to pay him $20 with the players we already have on there, so we want to use him in a deal. But in in that sense, they're actually saving money. They're not paying more. That's the kind of thing that they're going to probably look at. They're not going to look at paying anything extra in order to 
get better right now is my contention, which is subtly different, but also clearly different than saying they're going to tank. Yeah. And I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of joking when I say to get an injured player so that we don't win. I, no, but you're right. They can afford to do that. They can absolutely afford to take Miles Turner right now in a way that they could not do if they were in the midst of a heated battle for the third and fourth playoff seeds. That they would, uh, you know, have- they would not be able to do what you're s- suggesting if they were in that battle. But they're not. So they could take on a Miles Turner. Yeah, I, I think it'll be interesting to see. You know, we've we this trade deadline is coming up there. In my opinion, there and I don't even think this is an opinion. They've got to make some kind of move, even if it's not like you're saying a big one, because if they don't, we are going into the repeaters tax for what? To keep two contracts for half of a year where we're not going into the playoffs, most likely we're definitely not winning a championship. And then those two contracts are going to expire and and that's going to be the end of it. That would make that would just be bad business. There's no way that they do that. So it would not surprise me to see Robert Covington and Yusuf Nurkic moved by the deadline. So we'll see. Yeah, uh, but to your point, there's got to be moves coming this summer and not small moves. Big moves. Uh, yeah, it's just a matter of timing, and, and it could be. If the, look, if the opportunity is open this month, they will take it because they know they've got to do this. I'm just wondering whether the opportunity will be uh, open, and I do not guess that they will enter next fall with a lineup that resembles the one they have now. At least not in every position. It's in fact, we already know that the front court, the starting front court, is gone except for Larry Nance Jr. Look, at least one of the backcourt players, if not two, will be gone. So this is it. That's one way you can view the rest of the season, the swan song for the team that you've known for a decade. We've already known that was happening, and the swan is flying pretty low at this point and hitting the ground and some rocks every once in a while. But watching this lineup, this some of these players, this will be the last time you see them. So enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. Change is coming. It, it has to be. And and we're seeing it, you know, we're seeing those things happen slowly with, you know, with the GM change and things like that. Change is coming. It gives me hope, really, even for someone like me who really loves the players we have and really enjoys watching them. I will continue to enjoy watching them on other teams. I will, you know, hope the best for them, wish the best for them. But I am really hopeful that, you know, Dame has had surgery, which we'll talk about here in a second. Um, And he's on his road to recovery now. I'm hopeful that after playing for several years with this injury, that's going to mean the start of uh, an even better period of time for him being fully recovered and well and able to play to his potential. And I'm hoping that this will be the thing that pushes Portland over the edge and and convinces them to really make an effort to build around him. And with Neil Olshay out of the way and, and a GM who will come in and not be quite so attached, hopefully some big moves can be made and we can actually have a season next year that feels like it's a shot at something bigger than a first round exit. Well, we kind of saw at the beginning of the year and yeah, again, there wasn't enough time with the new coach and the new players and all that. I get it. But even when all the players were healthy, this team had still not improved much defensively and didn't look that much different. They were running a different system, but without much more acumen or energy. And I just think at a certain point, you look, I mean, how long, how long can you cook at the Golden Corral before you're going, you know what, 
this is a decent place, I guess, and I've really enjoyed it, but I'm slinging the same mashed potatoes that I was four years ago, and it's just, it's never going to change. And at that point, there's a certain energy or morale or hope that leaches out of you, even if the restaurant's the same, your team is the same, the customers are the same, it's not the same experience. You have to wonder if the Blazers are getting some of that kind of fatigue, especially the players who have been here a long time, which are, by definition, their biggest stars. Damian Lillard coming back from an abdominal injury is part of it, and hopefully physically he feels better, but also the Blazers need to give Damian Lillard something to come back to and come back for that isn't just the same buffet of offense and then none of the defense is very good so it's not just enough for dame to get better because at best he's carrying them to the seventh seed and that's not what he's looking for that's not what they're looking for so they know i I, they have to know that they they have to make moves and that the only question will be of course can they uh, are they in a position to do so we're gonna see but you've got to believe they're gonna try Yeah, so I think that brings us to Dame's surgery, which, you know, we've we've gotten this far in the podcast without talking about it, but this is kind of the big, big event that's going on in, in Rip City right now. Damian Lillard uh, underwent successful abdominal surgery to repair an injury that he has been dealing with for uh, reportedly the last, I think, three years. And so he is currently in recovery. I believe they said he will be reevaluated in six to eight weeks. He was feeling good coming out of it. You know, I I think this was a solid decision. I think with the season going the way that it was to continue to play him on an injury and then try to go through all this and do it during the offseason and have him ready to start the next season would have been a risk. I think it makes a lot more sense to go ahead and rest him this season, get him better, let him have time to recover and, and fully get to the place he needs to be to come back at, at full power without being rushed. I think it's good for, you know, Anthony Simons is getting more experience in, in that role than he would. Otherwise we're, we're seeing some of that happen with some of the younger guys getting more playing time and more experience. And I think that this has been the consensus as far as I've seen amongst Blazers fans. I, I haven't seen anybody outraged about this. Everybody seemed to be on board with with this idea of, of you know, taking Dame out and getting him healthy for for next season. So I, it's, it's good to hear that it went well. It's good to hear that he's feeling well. It's good to see, you know, again, moves in the right direction. How long has it been since Damon Lillard had a normal offseason, or anybody in the NBA, but especially Lillard. Last year was Olympics in a shortened offseason. The year before was COVID and the bubble and all of that, which throws you out of rhythm and what have you. Granted, he had more time off during that stretch, but it wasn't normal. So it's been three years since he's actually spent an offseason as one would expect. And Look, I know that they're professional athletes, but in some ways that's like saying this is the fanciest sports car that's ever been. This is your Bugatti or Lamborghini or something. Yes, those things run really fast and they cost millions of dollars, but they're also temperamental. You can't just take your thing to you know Jiffy Lube. You can't take your Lamborghini to Jiffy Lube and go change the oil and it's going to work. It, it's not, okay? I think professional athletes can be like that. Sure, they can go faster, they can go longer, they can go harder than any of us. But 
you can't just say, well, whatever. They do whatever to this machine, and it will produce the same. And I think it'll be important for Lillard to have this rest. I think it will be important for him to have a real off-season. I think it will be important for him to reset emotionally and mentally as well as physically. And I'm good with all of that, obviously, the way the season is going. And as you say, there are incentives for that to happen. Personally, for the team, there's nothing wrong with it. And I think we all agreed on that even before he had the surgery. I would say, get that thing in the shop and do whatever's needed. And let's see what happens next October. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I Like I said, I'm kind of excited to see where we go next season. I, I actually feel like, you know, there's some there's some hope here. So with that, too, we also have CJ McCollum making his return. He was out uh, because of a nemothorax, I believe is how you say that. He basically his lung was collapsed um, and he's recovered from that. He remained out, I think, a few extra days because they were waiting on the birth of his first child. And he was born. He's adorable. If you've seen pictures, he has a full head of black, thick hair, beautiful baby boy. His name is Jacoby James. And it sounds like they're all doing well. CJ was talking on the broadcast last night about, you know, being a, a new parent and getting advice from the other guys and things like that. So it, congratulations to them. You know, obviously a huge life-changing event. I'm glad that CJ, uh, you know, it, it never is good for someone to be hurt. But I'm glad that he was able to be in a position where he could be home for that time and, and be there for the birth of his child um, without having to rush back from, you know, being somewhere else. So congratulations to them. Right. Uh, the kind of the modern way and much better, by the way. I fully I, I enjoyed that, that he was able to be there. Uh, also, how seamless he was when he came back on the court. And granted, this was against the magic asterisk there. But look, this guy's good. I mean, we, we talk about trading him because it needs to happen. And we've known it's needed to happen for a while. But that shouldn't obscure the fact that he is, he stepped on that court and he scored like an assassin instantly. Yeah. And it was, there was no doubt, there was no hesitation either in his personal game or how the team would adapt to him. Uh, the minute he stepped on the court, he was a presence and a force. That's not easily dispensable. That's not trivial, no. okay? So when the Blazers move him, that's the kind of player they're going to be moving. Uh, first of all, it was good to see. But second of all, don't just don't sleep on this. I don't know what value the Blazers can get for him, but somebody's going to be getting a really, really good player if and when that trade happens. And I have to yeah. believe other GMs might be noticing the same thing, which is good news for Portland. But yeah, just, gosh, watching him... Watching CJ on offense is watching a master, and uh, it, it's an awful lot of fun. Yeah, it is. He, We have been lucky to have him in Portland. Uh, I think this is one of those guys that if he gets traded, every time we play his team, we're going to think, man... I wish we still had him on our team <laughs> because, you know, you know how that works once even even if it needs to be done, even if it's something that it's for the betterment of, you know, the the roster construction. Uh, it has absolutely nothing to do with his skill and ability as a player or his likability or how loved he is in Portland. Um, I think it it just has everything to do with constructing a roster that works. And he's going to be one of these guys that when he's on a roster that is constructed to work with his skill and, and his ability, 
he's going to be even more fun to watch. And he's going to be one of those guys that we're going to be watching and thinking, dang it, I miss him. Uh, I think about that with, with Seth Curry. You know, Seth Curry, when he was in Portland, I, I think people liked him and they liked his game. But Seth Curry now is one of those people that I constantly am saying, man, I really wish we still had him. Um, and I think I, I think CJ is going to be a player like that where we're going to look back and we're going to think, man, he is so good. I, I really wish we had him. Now, speaking of other uh, former Blazers, though, uh, Zach Collins is returning to action, going to the G League, yes, for the San Antonio Spurs. And that will be interesting to see because Zach, of course, was a high draft pick, did not work out in Portland because of injuries. But any kind of career he can salvage at this point is a fantastic plus. Uh, I will be doing nothing but rooting for Zach as he ventures onto his road back into the NBA. And he's, you know, even though, look, he could have fit in Portland. He was actually theoretically a really good move with his defensive acumen and whatever. And his ability looked like to, to cover multiple areas of the court. He, he would have been, he, you know, Larry Nance Jr., the way he moves, he would have been not quite as agile as Nance Jr., but a better point of attack defender than Nance Jr. That was actually, would have been a huge plus had it worked out. That said, you understand why it didn't. And you hope it does for him in San Antonio because they can really, I mean, if anybody can make use of him, they can. Yeah. So Zach is, is down playing with the G League right now. This is something I think a lot of people don't realize about the G League that oftentimes when guys that have a solid roster spot in the NBA are coming back from a long-term injury, they'll put them in the G League to play for a little bit. I, you know, Serge Ibaka with the Clippers was down there for a while. Um, Clay Thompson went down there briefly. Even Steph Curry was, was with the G League for, I think, a game, one game when he was coming back from his injury. This is a fairly common thing and it's a great function of the G League. Um, and so he's been down there, but this, I was cracking up last night because last night was his, his debut game <laughs> back with the G league and he played two quarters and got a technical foul. <laughs> Just, I mean, if ever there was a Zach Collins thing to do, <laughs> that is it. I, I shoot G league games. I photograph G league games regularly, several times a week. And, uh, so I've seen a lot of them and I don't know that I've seen, anybody get a technical foul in the G League before. So I I was cracking up at the fact that, you know, Zach was back for half a game and 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 got a technical. It'll be nice to see him back in the NBA. I, I like his fire. I He's always been a player that I've really enjoyed watching um, and was very sad to see not only the injuries, but then obviously, and again, I get it. He's another one of those that you understand why they make the move that they did but it's sad to see him go and I will always cheer for him and root for him to do well wherever he is. So hopefully with the Spurs, that'll be, you know, a, a good fit. Like you said, well, the Blazers have been picking up a fair number of technicals lately. I mean, it seems yeah. like the last two weeks they have been, as you say, uh, chippy. <laughs> Actually yeah. you said chipper, yeah. but chipper, chippy. Yeah. We got chipper. them both in. Right? <laughs> now if we can get a chip and Dale reference, we've got the trifecta anyway. Um, yeah. They've been at it with the referees a little bit. They've been at it with opponents. You wonder how much of that is frustration, uh, how much of that is just like, what the heck, or how much of that is passion and fire. I'm not sure. I tend to think that it's distracting them slightly, but at the same time, distracting them from what? And the what often needs a little distraction, so I I'm all right with it. 
but I found it curious how the, the temperature seems to have cranked up a little bit over the last couple of weeks. Now, you also wonder, I mean, could that be approaching deadline? Could that be the fact that uh, the officials have been ravaged with COVID as well? And so there are a lot of new faces out there and thus a lot of opportunities for yelling and complaining. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what it is, but I found it curious with that. Oh, my gosh. There was also, was it the Washington game or the Orlando game? I forget. I think it was the Washington game, actually, that... Nurkic fouled out, right? And King out was Washington. Yeah. And uh, Covington had five, and someone else fouled out. I forget who it was, but like you had the entire front court. Oh, it was uh, Watford. Trenton Watford fouled out in eight minutes. So, like you, you, you were fielding with Nance Jr. and Zeller out, you were fielding like three big ish players. And keep in mind, we're counting Robert Covington as a big here. And uh, two of the three fouled out, and one had five fouls. So there's, you know, there's a lot going on there. That said, uh, it does remind me that Robert Covington has had a little bit of a uh, resurrection here the last yeah. 10 days. He's been taking and hitting his three-point shot a little better. Uh, he's been standing in on defense a little bit more, including in that game in center at center, which he's not going to be able to do every night. But you know what? When called upon, he did it. And Covington is kind of coming out of hibernation, which is uh, also a good sign, if nothing else, for his potential trade value. Uh, but it's fun to see Covington playing well again. Yeah, for sure. I think I think some of this, you know, turmoil, the, the technical fouls, the ejections, the whatever, I, I think some of that is frustration. I, again, this is just my speculation, but it feels like it, you know, as frustrated as it's been for us as fans at times, you know, it's been frustrating for them. You know that those players are frustrated with things that are happening. And I think you see that start to come out. You, you can only handle that for so long before you start to see it come out. And I think that these are our players who are dealing with a lot stacked against them in a sense and just trying to kind of figure it out. And I think that that sometimes comes out, you know, it's for anyone who's played sports, you know what that does to, to your energy and how it, you kind of, it builds and builds and builds and builds and builds. And, and so when you're in the heat of the moment in a game, you react strongly to things. And I think that we're seeing this tension and this frustration kind of bubbling up and surfacing in these games. And so I think that's happening a lot more uh, because of all of that. So I, it's not surprising to me. Uh, and I think, again, we'll get to a point where that kind of simmers down a little bit. But it's not necessarily a bad thing either. I like to see the the passion and the fight that they've got. I don't think that's a, a bad thing necessarily. You know, it, it, it makes for some interesting games, for sure. Yeah, I mean, um, the, the big question is, is this because what does it matter or it does matter? And I'm not sure which end of the equation is that, you know, but as you say, we'll find out. I think it's, it's, it does matter uh, for these guys, because I feel like we've seen in situations where they're just very, whatever, and it didn't look like this. So that that's my takeaway from it. But yeah, it, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see what goes, what happens moving forward, especially after the trade deadline, when, you know, we know where we're at, they know where they're at because they're not, if we can sit here and say, well, this guy's contract is ending and we need to be under the, you know, they've thought about this too. You know, a guy like Nurkic and a guy like Robert Covington both know that their contracts are coming up and that we need to get under the, the 
luxury tax and that the trade deadline, you know that they know this stuff. So it's got to be in the back of their minds too. I remember um, one of the, the first times that Josh, Josh Childress, who I work for regularly, um, we were traveling for something and it was, it was during the trade deadline last season when things were happening. And I said to him, I said, were you ever traded at a trade deadline? And he said, no, he wasn't. And I said, well, were you around it? Like, did you see? And he said, yeah. I said, tell me about what this looks like. And he said, a lot of times these guys literally have no idea that this is coming. They don't know what's happening. It just, it's blindsiding. And he said he, he was on a plane one time on the way to a game with a teammate who got traded at the deadline. They landed, the rest of the team went on to the, to the arena and that teammate had to get back on another plane and go somewhere else to join his new team. It just happened so quickly you don't know what you're, what's going to happen. And there's got to be some turmoil in that for these guys, knowing that this is approaching, knowing that this is coming up, knowing that they, you know, they really don't know if their future is, is solid here or not. It puts in perspective some of this emotion that I think we're seeing from NERC. Um, It puts in perspective, you know, that this, kind of resurgence we're seeing from Robert Covington. It makes a lot of sense knowing that this is coming up and knowing that they're the two contracts that are that are currently going to expire and, and this deadline's coming up. So I'm not surprised to see that. I hope that wherever any of our guys end up, it's a good fit for them and that they're happy and they thrive in those situations because I really, truly like every single person we have on this team and I wish them the best and hope to see them do well wherever they end up. Yeah, it would be interesting to see if, if Nurkic were to be moved midseason, who would want him? Who would invest? Because it would be that. It would be an investment because you're, you're probably not borrowing him, especially a center with his skill set for just a, a rental for the playoffs. He needs to integrate and he needs to be a part of the hub of your attack in order to flourish. And that's not going to happen, you know, in three months and then all of a sudden it's set. So, Presumably, the team that would pick him up would be a team willing to make a long-term investment in him. I, I will be curious to see more than anything who that is, because I think there's potential there, actually, uh, for a happy marriage. But where will it be, and will the Blazers be able to connect with that team in a way that makes sense, or is Nurkic just going to sign as a free agent somewhere? And I think, by the way, signs are poorer if he signs as a free agent, because he makes more sense that, I mean, yes, the commitment is just as long because you signed a contract, but you know why? You've got free agent money and Nurkic is available. He's a pretty good center. You take a flyer on him, you get him, you figure you're going to work him in versus trading something for him and signaling that investment in him. I think the latter is probably better for him. So I'd be curious to see if they get that done. That'll probably be one of the most interesting stories, certainly in Portland. Um, Maybe, I don't want to say across the NBA, but it's certainly, it's in the upper third of possibilities uh, of of trades here. Yeah, we're coming up to a time where it's going to get hectic. It's going to get busy. We're going to see a lot of things happening. Um, So buckle up. (laughs) Buckle up. All right, well... This COVID-infested episode appears to be winding down. Is there anything else that you had on the agenda that uh, is remarkable? No, I don't think so. I think we pretty much covered everything. You know, there's we had a real busy news week last week. This week has just been kind of um, catching up on, on where everybody's at. But I anticipate that by next week, it'll be uh, a lot. Again, I think this this the next few weeks are going to be action-packed. 
I yeah. would guess. Well, and the Blazers got above 500 for the week, so we're happy. So there we go. All right. We will see you again next week for episode 65. Until then, for Dia Miller, I'm Dave Deckard, and I hope you have a wonderful week. A hater sees an opening down the lane, moves towards the hoop, but then Dia comes out of nowhere to swap the shot attempt away, saying, get that weak stuff out of here. Dave scoops up the loose ball. Now it's a fast break the other way with Dia. She's flying down the court. Dave comes here an alley-oop. She jams it. Boom! Shakalaka! The crowd is on its feet saluting Dia. I tell you, if she isn't the rookie of the year, they really ought to just stop giving the award. What a talent! <laughs>